Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Taking center stage on tonight's My Sporting Life is a Liverpool legend who scored the winning goal in two different European Cup finals, Alan Kennedy. So, Alan, you were born in Sunderland, the northeast of England. What kind of childhood did you have? Uh... A great childhood. I loved uh, every minute of it. Uh, local schools. Uh, we moved. Um, obviously, born back in 1954. Uh, tough times at that particular time. Um, but uh, I had my uh, older brother to thank for bringing me through the early stages, and uh, he was always a good, good uh, guy to follow. Um, my parents, obviously. Um, well, my parents, they worked to a certain extent. My mother, not so much, because uh, she had uh, children to look after. Sure. But, but my my dad worked out at the local uh, factory, and uh, you what know. were they making in the factory? Can you remember? Well, no, he he was a, he was a draftsman yeah. at the time, and uh, it was it was the Royal Ordnance Factory, um, and so he was working for the government, and you know. Credit to me, Dad. He would never talk about what he did at the go- with the government. So, uh, is it still a secret, Alan? Um, I think it is to a certain <laughs> extent. Um, you know, m- my dad was uh, very much um, doing his job, um, and uh, he did it to the best of his ability, which was always a good thing. I mean, I don't know whether you should read too much into names, but you obviously—it sounds like it was a very uh, idyllic. You went to a primary school called Shiny Row. Yeah, <laughs> Shiny Row was uh, w- within a uh, hundred yards of where we lived at the time and uh, it was it, it was ideal um, but but I can only remember certain parts of it and, and, and about um, about the football side of it mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we had a green and white checked coloured uh, kit uh, to play in and um, you had a checkered kit like Croatia we did that's we, very very unusual we, isn't it well it was like Blackburn Rovers more or less oh I it, see it, quartered it, it, quartered like, yeah, it was lovely that, it was like that you see and uh, um, so we had that type of kit and, and my brother I can still I've got a picture from 1963 of myself in the team a skinny little lad who uh, blonde haired lad who uh, played on the wing never really got that many games because I wasn't good enough to play in the team and this this is true because most of the other players I didn't realise at the time were, were, were a lot older than me yeah. 
a lot older. It was under 11s, under 13s and under 15s. And uh, obviously being the under 11s, my brother was 10 and a half. So he was a big lad and, and uh, he was always in the team. A bit of a, uh, a robust centre-half at that particular time. And, uh, uh, and I was just a skinny lad on the wing who sometimes got the ball and dribbled with it and ran and scored a couple of goals. And... Um, but I developed my skill at the time and I remember one particular time it was so cold on the wing and, and my mother always went to the game. She What's always, your mum's name? Uh, Sarah Ann. Mm-hmm. And uh, she uh, always went to the... I, went I don't to, ask your fathers in case it's a secret. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, 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 yeah. We, it was always in those days that they had middle names, didn't they? Sarah Ann. And yeah. I, I'm an Alan Phillip. And uh, but it was Gordon Kennedy, you know, mm. uh, nice Gordon Kennedy. Um, but Sarah Ann was always there watching me play and taking me to the games. And uh, I remember it was so cold one time, and she she gave me her gloves to wear because I was standing on the wing, never got a touch, like you know. And um, and then she gave me a jumper to put on, <laughs> and it was one of those like you think, oh, what next, like you know? Yeah, she got it. She was looking after me. She yeah. was. She was that type of uh, lady, and uh, she just um, she just helped me through it all the time, like you know. But I was always on a catch up. I felt as though I was only a young lad. I was only eight years of age. And I was always competing against the older, older players. And one of them, those was my brother. Who, Keith, yeah. Keith was, a, 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 again, a, a centre-half of, um, you know, good stature. Um, what about, uh, did you have a sporting hero? Were you a Sunderland fan? Did you have sporting heroes? Was it always football? It was always football. Every day I played football in my life. Um, where I lived uh, later in, in, the, in the early 60s was a, was a place called Penshaw, which is right next to Shiny Row. I call it row. It's ra, but really uh-huh. being, the, being the local termination. But yeah. uh, um, so Pencho came, and uh, Pencho is on a hill. It has a monument there in Pencho. Okay, so everything runs down towards the river, including the football pitch that we played on. And uh, so consequently, you know, we we um, we played our football there on the hill, and it was a bit tough second half going up the oh, up the hill away from the weir, away from the weir, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, Keith and I used to go down there, and we used to play in the streets. We played football every moment, every time there was a spare moment. We used to play, and we used to organise teams, organise sides, um, and it was it was good, clean fun. And we'd stay down there from nine o'clock in the morning till about nine o'clock at night. You you say you've played football every day of your life then, but in fact you played on and right down through the leagues and all over the world uh, into your 40s, as I said in the introduction. And looking at you today, you're the exact same shape as when you played football, uh, despite <laughs> being a few years older, and you're still playing now. Yeah. I, I As you approach 60 years of age. Yeah, I never, I never give up in terms of um, I still carry uh, my boots uh, around, uh, and if there's a game going on, uh, then I'll, I'll be there. And, Are you uh, any good? Uh, I would say the ball does the work. Uh, let's put it that way. And uh, I'm always in a position to help others out. Uh, whereas some people might say I was never in the right position <laughs> when I played for Liverpool or Newcastle or any other team. How do you end up playing on the tine? I'm going to take you to the task about that. You said you said defender. Did, and you're, hey, come on! I was never a defender. Never. You know, you I was defender never in the, the, in the modern way. Have you it, never went back it, to your own goal? That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leaving I, various Liverpool centre backs to cover for you. <laughs> well, that's what it was all about in those days. The early stages, obviously, with Newcastle back in the. Hang on, how how Newcastle? Why not Sunderland? Well, Sunderland 
um, had other ideas at the time. And one of my heroes from the Sunderland days was was a guy called, um, uh, I'm going to try and think of his, Hurley. That's yeah, right, Charlie Charlie Hurley. Charlie Hurley. Great big Irishman. He was a big, big centre-half. And I, and I went to watch Sunderland one day and I looked at him and... I, He's a big guy, isn't he? And uh, he stopped everything that came that way. And there was Len Ashurst, Jim Montgomery and people like that. They were wonderful. George Mulhall and, and wonderful, wonderful players. I, I really enjoyed watching, you know, watching Sunderland. But Newcastle, you talk about Newcastle. Keith, my brother, was scouted, uh, you know, by Newcastle United. And... Um, uh, you know, uh, he, and he went along and, and played for Newcastle United in the juniors, uh, and eventually ma- made it to the to the first team at Newcastle. And I sort of like followed him at the time. Like you know, my father was very very happy about that because he was more of a Newcastle fan, whereas my mother and her family were more of a Sunderland fan. So they had the best of both worlds. When one week we'd go and watch Newcastle, the other week we'd go and watch Sunderland. Yeah, but it's not fair on your mum that you both go and play for the Magpies. Well, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a shame, really. Um, uh, you made up for it later on. Shall we yeah. say that by going and joining Sunderland? We'll talk about that later. As yeah. you say, one of the big issues, one of the big reasons why I guess you went to Newcastle rather than Sunderland is that your, your brother Keith was already a Newcastle United player. I'm delighted to say we can, he joined us on the line now. Hello, Keith. Good evening, how are you? Very, very good indeed. Say hello to your bro. Hello, Alan, how are you? I'm very well, Keith. It's uh, good to talk to you, not up a tree or anything like that. Um, no, no, not doing anything like that, no. Well, nice and sensible today. Good lad. Oh, good uh, sorry, sorry, what does that mean? Are you, are you a part-time Tarzan? Uh, no, not, not in my spare time. No, no, that's just for weekends, lad. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I just I, he always rings me when I'm up 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 a tree doing some gar- some gardening at, at home. Listen, Keith, t- tell us about your about your young brother Alan and what kind of uh, kid he was and what kind of footballer he was when he was young. Right, uh, going back to the very very early days, uh, Alan was playing for um, the under 11s in in my school team when he was only um, nine, because uh, he is two years younger than me, mm-hmm. and he was also you know a good player at that time, and um, he probably just hadn't physically developed. That was the only problem that he had, but he had a lot of flair and skill, um, and then we sort of went our separate ways uh, from 11 onwards, and I didn't really sort of see much of him really um, until he got to about 15 and then he started to be, to play uh, for a local side and then he, uh, I realised he had something there and I'd just signed for Newcastle United at the time and someone actually asked me would, would it, you know, is anybody you know that, that you, you thought was a decent player and I said well my brother's coming on and he's, he's, looking, he's looking a pretty decent player so they said well bring him down on you, I think they did Tuesday and Thursday evenings and um, and had a look at him and they liked, liked what they saw and uh, and they signed him uh, so that, that's how it really started for Alan um, as I say I was already there I'd done uh, you know, a couple of years because as I say, I'm older, so um, I was I'll be somewhere around about 17, 18 when I was signed. And Keith, uh, it's easy to see it now with hindsight, but at the time, can you try and cast your mind back? Was there anything about Alan that made you? Th- did you think this fellow's going to go on to be one of the most successful and decorated footballers in English football? I probably didn't think that far ahead, to be absolutely no, no, honest. No, 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 I'm asking you in all honesty, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, no, the, the, I mean, Alan was the reason really why I left Newcastle because, um, you know, when I got to about 19, um, I'd, I'd, play, I'd been in the first team and there was a lot of competition for places and I could see that Alan was obviously going to come through and, and, you know, just looking at him at a 17-year-old or whatever, there was there was a lot of potential there. He had a lot of pace, uh, you know, uh, he was very, very quick over the first few yards, which, which counted for a lot. And, and, and he, you know, he, he got forward well, you know, that was his best asset. He, he had a good engine on him and he could, he could motor forward. So I, I took all this into consideration and decided that probably that it was best for me to, to leave Newcastle oh and, <laughs> and, and, and try, try and look elsewhere because, you know, it, there was a lot of competition. It was it was a big club and I just felt if I was going to stay in the game um, and, you know, progress, then I'd have to do it probably at a lower league mm-hmm. and, and, and try and obviously try and move up if I could. Uh, so that, that's really, he was the reason I left Newcastle and, and have you held that against him ever since? Have proper order. We had a good mentor in Frank Clark, didn't we? Frank was uh, brilliant to yeah. us, wasn't he? Yes, I, I would put Frank as probably one of you know the most sort of gentlemen that, that I, I would know in football, and you know he was a superb player. He could play right or left back, and you know he, he was a Mr. Consistent for me. Yeah. Uh, there was very very few times that he actually put a, put a foot wrong or anyone he sort of took him to the cleaners. Um, and you know he was just a great guy I thought and this was what we were up against wasn't it Alan really when you think about it Um, you know and uh, even a lad called Ron Guthrie who went to Sunderland and actually played in the cup final I think um, against Leeds you know he wasn't a bad player either and you know and all these things came to my mind when I realised then that I wasn't going to probably get through Well listen Keith it's been absolutely fascinating hearing you talk about your early days uh, with and without your brother uh, Alan Candy thank you very much for joining us It's a pleasure thank you very much. Lovely to hear from you. Cheers, Kate. Um, the club you joined, Newcastle United, of course, a uh, pretty powerful club. They just bought Mark McDonald in from, from Luton. Mm. Um, and we heard there some of the long-serving players, Tommy Cassidy, yeah. uh, Ian McFall, Terry Hibbert, etc. Um, you made your debut, turned pro in 72, made your debut in 73, mm. established yourself in 74, a year in which Newcastle, famously, um, because, of course, there's a lot of near misses in Newcastle's <laughs> history, isn't there, since they last won a trophy. You mentioned Bobby Moncur. Yeah. 1969, was it, the last time they won a major Fairs trophy? Cup. Yeah, I was Fairs there. Cup. Oh, you're there? We, we, I can't remember. We The Hungarian team, we yeah, Doji, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Home and away. And Bob Moncur scored, I think, two goals in either, in both games. Uh, it was a fantastic um, you know, uh, way to finish off, and that was... Newcastle's first trophy since the 50s. And the, and the last one as well, as it, as it happens. You nearly got one in 1974. No, no, oh, no, he didn't turn up that day. The, the FA Cup final. Yeah. Um, let me, we'll talk about the final in just a second, Alan, but um, famous Cup final, of course, 1974. <laughs> I remember it very, very vividly. Um, quite an extraordinary run to the final in that, you know, <laughs> going along is okay, Hendon, yeah. then after a replay. <laughs> that was a replay, yeah. yeah after yeah. a replay. Yeah. Then you beat West Bromwich. And then the quarter final, well, you know, Three. we have to remember what England English football was like in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Um, there was a riot in the quarter final against Nottingham Forest, wasn't there? Yes, there was a riot. Uh, and... Um, we, uh, I played and I came on as a substitute and we were 3-1 down and a guy called Duncan McKenzie took Brilliant took, player. took, took uh, Newcastle to pieces at the time and all the fans from the uh, Leeds' end, they ran on the pitch, they wanted the game over, they've had enough, they've seen they enough, yeah. they run on the pitch and the players run off the pitch and uh, we get back in the dressing room. I remember a player called John Tudor. 
yeah. played centre forward for uh, uh, for Newcastle, and uh, he came up and, and he said to everybody, it was great about this. He said, "We can win this game," and we're getting hammered. Well, John Tudor turned out to be no bad judge. You actually did win the game. We actually did. I mean, we won the game four three, and. They then said, oh, well, it influenced the result that the fans came onto the pitch. We'll have to have a replay. And then we had to go down to Everton for the replay. And, um, you know, we went down there and there was another replay, would you <laughs> that believe? That was a draw, yeah, nil-nil. Uh, it was nil-nil. And, you know, so we didn't know what was going to happen, but we had to play the game before the next league game, and that was it. So we had to play, like, the three games within one week of uh, uh, of the other, and uh, we won the game. Malcolm one. Mack got a goal, yeah. Malcolm Mack got a great goal, and uh, we, we cemented our you know, chance to play in the FA Cup final. Which took you through via Burnley to a, to a final against Liverpool, and famously, Malcolm McDonald went on record to say what he was going to do to Liverpool that day. Yeah. Um, and even then, Liverpool were a very professional outfit. I'm sure that was one of the reasons why Newcastle was so badly mauled in the final. Well, I'm going to tell you, Danny. What happened was, right, as Liverpool were professional, Newcastle were slightly unprofessional. Oh. In, in a way, because they treated it, we treated it more as a an away day in London. And what happened was, we actually went down on the Monday to a place called Selsden Park Hotel. So we were there having a good time. We have our little sing songs. We have our little, Frank Clark could play the guitar. We uh, we had a couple of beers and enjoyed ourselves. Oh, this is good, this, isn't it? We're enjoying ourselves. Somebody else is paying the bill. We're fine about this, like, you know. Oh, well, we've got a game on the Saturday. We're playing Liverpool. And we never really thought about that until we got to Wembley. On the Friday, you're allowed to go and have a look at the pitch, and the pitch looked uh, pretty decent. It was a big pitch, um, and you'd heard about Wembley, and you th- thought, well, you know, Joe Harvey, our manager, hadn't really thought about who to play at this particular time, one or two injury problems, and, uh, you know, but, you know, he could have switched things around, which he did do in the end, which I didn't think he would, but, uh, yeah, we took it a little bit for granted, and then on the, on the Saturday morning, we're all talking on, on TV, and, um, you know, and I came across the worst, or one of the worst, because I actually said that, um, I thought about Tommy Smith, and I actually said, well, he, he's passed it. He's too old, too slow, and all that, and I, and I suddenly realised what I was saying. Um, and then Malcolm come on and said, "Well, listen, I'm the best centre forward in the business. I'm going to score at least a couple of goals against you know Phil Thompson, Emlyn Hughes, and Tommy Smith, and the rest of them." Um, and so um, you know, on that particular day when when Joe Harvey gave the team out, you know, we all thought this is it. All we've got to do is turn up, and we'll win the game. It was 3-0 to Liverpool. My, my recollection is it could have been any score. Yes. It could have been any score. Without a doubt. With a, uh, with but let me ask you a very important question about this, Alan. You've won dozens of medals. You probably couldn't carry them in your hands. Mm. So does a cup final like this, does it still feel like a missed opportunity? Are you still disappointed? I haven't got an FA Cup winner's medal. Winner's medal. I always wanted one of those. The one highlight in your early days of your career as a young footballer is to play in a cup final. And I had the opportunity to play in the FA Cup final um, against you know, the, you know, the top team at the time. Well, I'm not saying they're the top team because Leeds United were probably the top team at the time. But um, Liverpool were there to be beaten, we all thought. Um, and at half-time, this is so funny, we're, we're, at half-time, we've gone into the dressing room and um, Joe Harvey, our manager, said, brilliant lads, you're doing well. We got absolutely hammered. 
but he didn't want to say that. He was quite philosophical about it. He says, we'll be better second half. And then like four or five minutes into the second half, they had an offside goal. Alec Lindsay actually scored a goal which was off, given offside. Wrongly given offside. Wrongly. No, no, no. I made Kevin. Kevin Keegan was offside. Okay, I'm going right. to dispute that. Okay? All right then. Because uh, Kevin Keegan made the run. He was level with me. Level me. Offside. Okay, that's it. In so, modern football, it's been a goal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, so anyway, it was a case of like bum bum bum. They 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 ran out three nil winners comfortable winners could have been five or six if it wasn't for the goalkeeper we were all over the place and Joe Harvey realised he'd made a slight blunder in terms of like moving Frank Clark to right back to cover Steve Highway and he played me at left back but it gave me the chance to play in the FA Cup final what I've always wanted to do but to hold a winner's medal would have been wonderful Alan um, after that uh, horrific defeat in the FA Cup final Newcastle did win another trophy I mean it's not a major trophy <laughs> Don't go there. They Don't were, not very the... briefly explain what the te- they retained the Texaco no. Cup. We retained it. Yeah. You'd really? won it the previous year, but you didn't play. They'd won it the previous year as yeah, well. They had won it, yeah. Go Newcastle. Yeah, good old Newcastle, yeah. We were good enough to win the Texaco Cup, yeah. Um, we actually ended another one was the Anglo Scottish and there was the Anglo Italian as well yeah. back, back in those and I can't remember playing much in those competitions. But um, the Texaco, let me just explain to the teenagers, the Texaco <laughs> was a trophy that was originally originally set up for the teams in England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland yeah. who hadn't qualified for Europe. Europe, so they, they don't tell you who they were but then the the Welsh and, and Irish teams pulled out of it because they were making no money so you were left with all the teams in the middle of the English Premier League or yeah. the old first division yeah. and some Scottish teams Scottish who teams weren't, who weren't Rangers and Celtic I know and it, well you've won somewhere among your pile of medals you'll find that you beat Southampton in the final of the Texaco Cup yeah. in 75 yeah we did I think that was 3-1 if I remember rightly and uh, you know but you know, any competition... 3-1 on Riker, you're absolutely right. Any competition was, like, there to be won in those days. And you know what? The fans absolutely loved the competition because it meant it's a trophy. It didn't care if it was the FA Cup or whether... This it... is what modern managers, particularly foreign managers, if I might be so bold, they don't understand yeah. about the FA Cup and the League Cup when yeah. they start messing around with the teams, that the fans yeah. get to go to Wembley. And even if you're yeah. on the losing side, it's a moment you'll never forget yeah. and it validates your support of, and let's be fair, these days, the money you pour into those clubs. You Absolutely, know? without yeah. a doubt. And I, I promise you that Newcastle fans were very much short changed in those days you know they're just to get anywhere near a final a semi and they would flock there and uh, you know uh, again it was about winning things and, and I always felt as though Newcastle at that particular time were, were a good cup team no matter what competition they were a good cup team but maybe not so much doing in the no. league then Joe Harvey, of course, a legend at Newcastle, manager for nearly 15 years, as I yeah. recall. He leaves at the, uh, at the start of the 75-76 season and a man called Gordon Lee comes in. How did he get on with Gordon? Well, Gordon was very, very different. He allowed the players just to get on with it. And, and you know, Joe had his uh, ways of, of, of uh, motivating the players. But uh, Gordon just played for me games with, with, with the players and allowed them to express themselves maybe slightly too much because you know we talked about Malcolm McDonald and, and one or two others let's say shouting off shouting their mouths off and saying things but um, Gordon's record was was pretty decent he, he got Alan Gowlin um, he got some you know decent players he got his I would say tried and trusted players from the, again the Burnleys of the world who, who were a good team and he got some he got some decent players in but uh, you know again we we, we did we failed to deliver you know we, we might have scored goals but we always felt 
we were going to concede goals at that particular time. We had a goalkeeper called Mick Mahoney who came in and replaced Ian McFall. So, um, you know, it was always change, change, change all the time. You did, uh, in that first season of Gordon Lee's, um, a League Cup is a competition you came to know very, very well. I think you yeah. I think you played in four, one, four successive winning uh, Liverpool teams. Yep. Got to the final again in 76. Um, oddly enough, Manchester City, before their current um, incarnation as all-conquering champions, yep. the last trophy they had won was this 1976. So you lost the League Cup final in 76 as well. Yeah, yeah we did. Um, Man City uh, with a guy called Dennis Stewart. Uh, of course, after a tremendously lucky victory over Spurs in the semi-final. I believe so. I yeah, believe so, yes. yes. Yeah, you yeah, got that one in well, yeah, didn't yeah. you? Right, so semi-finals don't count for anything. No, they don't. You know, they no. don't count for anything. I still remember there. them. but It's but, getting but, there. Yeah. It's getting there. And the important thing, we, you know, we got to the final. We you know, we played against a, a very confident, uh, you know, um, team. You know, Peter Barnes was a, oh, they, a they, wonderful player. I'm just looking player. at their players. They've got, they got Barnes, Royal, Hartford and Chua up front. That's yeah. plenty for most teams, isn't it? Yeah, on the left-hand side, on the right-hand side, people down the middle, Asa Hartford working so hard um, in that in that midfield. Um, but, you know, we, they took the lead um, uh, in that particular game. We got the equaliser through, I think, Alan Gowlin at, uh, at that time. Um, and we thought we were back into it. You know, we put... You know, we we again we just failed to deliver at the final moment. We couldn't quite press our advantage home. A disappointment for you. And then I guess the next couple of years after that League Cup final, mm. um, and we won't go into the more details because I say you've got a lot of winning League Cup finals to come. As always at Newcastle, it's a roller coaster. Yeah. Malcolm McDonald leaves, but that doesn't really hold the team back because in seventy six, seventy seven, you're ever present as you're, you're totally established in the team now. Yeah. You finish fifth. Newcastle are really doing well. The following year. They get relegated. <laughs> How do you go from 5th to 21st, as it was in those days? Uh, change of managers. Um, Gordon Lee uh, went to uh, Everton, Everton, yeah. Everton at that particular time. They wanted a new manager. Um, and, and Gordon's assistant was a guy called Richard Dinnis. And Richard took over the reins as, as the manager at that particular time. Mainly player power. It was player power. We actually said to the, the chairman, we said to the directors, we want Richard as, a, as our manager. So they slightly disagreed, but then agreed to disagree. It was a case of like, well, okay, we'll see how he goes. Um, and that wasn't or shouldn't have been the case. It's never a good idea just to give the players that much That's right. influence, I don't we, think. We, we realised at the time, uh, and the directors um, you know, realised they'd made a mistake. They decided to go uh, a little bit later for a guy called Bill McGarry, who was a a real hard man legendary hard case yeah hard, from wolves in in the um in the 77 78 season uh, and richard's record really you know was was very very poor it was down to the players i'm sorry but the players didn't perform on the including day. yourself including myself I, because i didn't know, you know what was going on I, i'd never been, we i think we lost uh, out of 11 games of the season we lost 10 games we we drew one we had one point after 11 games it was ridiculous um and we just couldn't get ourselves together and and as we've seen again and again and again and again and again if you start badly yes the top level of english football has always been too competitive to give you a chance to come yeah. back hasn't it Every game we we thought oh, didn't have any luck, did we? Well, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. Next game, we'll we'll make our luck change. You you make your luck change by hard work, and we didn't seem to put the hard work in. We had flair players with the Jimmy Smiths, that uh, you know, the Tommy Cassidys, and of course the Terry Hibberts of the world. Yeah, but we had we needed other players to to, to come and help us, and we were all over the place. Now, again, I mean, I'm sorry to talk about failure here, but you know, again, for a player who goes on to win a stack full of medals. Can you, 
how does it sit with you that you've got a relegation on your CV? Um, it didn't sit well at the time. I, I, I was just a young lad coming through. You know, I was 21, 22 and, 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 and thinking I'm lucky to be playing football. And I was. I was lucky, but I was playing for a team that, that, that sometimes can produce some of the best football that they've ever seen. And then all of a sudden they can produce some rubbish that, that, that nobody talks about. And, and, and consequently, when you leave Newcastle and you go to a, a, you know, a better team, the, you know, Liverpool were just heading streets above them. Like, you know, and uh, I, I just felt as though that to get away w- was going to be the best thing for me. I was going to ask you then. So when you went down, I mean, nowadays, all the good players leave when they go down. Nobody wants to play in the championship. It wasn't quite like that. No. But you felt differently. I didn't feel like that at the time. Um, you know, when, we, when, when you bring a new manager in, he has his own ideas. And, we, you know, we brought a couple of players in that we, we hadn't heard of um, a couple of players from Scotland um, and they came into the team and didn't quite work out and Bill McGarry had his own he was a very strong character uh, and he upset one or two players and, and I was unfortunately one of them and um, we had a player called Irvin Natras who, mm-hmm. who played right back he was another one who later left the club within. we left the club within a month of each other Alan in the summer of 1978 you leave Newcastle after their relegation um, from the first year signed for the then European champions how did that come about? Uh, Newcastle were desperate for the money. <laughs> How much was it? Can you remember? 330,000 Then a record fee no, for no, left back. I think it was a bit more than that. You know, uh, 333. It was a third of a million pounds. Yeah. Uh, they wanted to put that in the record books. A uh, third of a million pounds. I didn't matter. It didn't matter to me. Uh, New, Liverpool wouldn't quite agree to it that at the time, but that's what Newcastle wanted. Uh, I think Liverpool agreed uh, with Newcastle 300, and then all of a sudden it's 333, third of a million. Newcastle Sa- wants to announce a record uh, yeah, transfer for that's yeah, right. of course. Yeah. And uh, so eventually uh, I went uh, I went back home. Uh, the thing about it, Danny, it was a very emotional time for me. Um, you know, I was back pre-season training with Newcastle, and I'd just lost... In the April, uh, I'd lost my mother uh, to a heart attack uh, at that particular time. A very sad time, um, that sort of like um, that period. And, uh, you know, actually going back and seeing my dad, he was, you know, he wasn't very, you know, good about things. And my sister was, my, Keith had left the club at the time and, and gone to Bury. Uh, so it was a bit of a sad time and um, I needed some reassurance what I was doing was the right thing. Uh, to go to Liverpool so I went back to see my dad and he said come on son let's have a pint mm-hmm. <laughs> typical isn't it right we'll go to the local club and um, we'll go up there and I said dad you know it's it's one of these situations where w- w- you know I've got to make a decision and he said lad whatever decision you make it'll be the wrong one <laughs> and it was like Oh, uh, right. Well, thanks, Dad. Um, yeah, I really wanted to. You could have probably done with that, without yeah, that, Alan. I know, but he, what he meant was if you stay with us and, and, and you'll regret not going to the European champions, but if you if you go down to Liverpool, it is a long way in those days, you know. Mm-hmm. They hadn't finished motorways off of them in 1960, uh, sorry, 1978. Uh, so um, so the, the case of it was like, you know, you go down there and hopefully you'll establish yourself in the team and uh, that's exactly what I did. Well, I just remind people that the, the Liverpool squad that you joined, I mean, talk about legends, just some of the names I can pick out here, Ray Clements, Emily Hughes, Alan Hansen, Phil Thompson, Phil Neal, Jimmy Case, Steve Highway, Ray Kennedy, Terry McDermott, Graham Sue Ness, 
yeah, David Johnson, Kenny Dalgleish, David Fairclough. I mean, just yeah. an extraordinary squad of players. And you, you've probably counted about 15 players there. And that that was, I don't think I included Sammy Lee because Sammy was around at that particular time. Yeah. But I tell you what. I left out Joey Jones as well and Howard yeah. Gale. Yeah, Joey Joey actually left the club because he was the, the, yep. the Liverpool left back and I came to replace him. I also came to replace um, Emlyn Hughes as well. And it was very difficult because they were, they were household names. They, they, they were cult figures at the football club. And to replace them was going to be difficult. But, you know, I, I knew I had a job on my hands. But I knew Terry McDermott very well from the England days. I knew Phil Thompson. I knew David Johnson. I knew um, one or two others as well from, from the England and under 23s um so you know i was i was comfortable with with meeting those type of players but again you know you, you mentioned the players there they were fantastic players 78 79 and we'll talk about it more with one of the, your teammates in a second it's an interesting season i think for liverpool you win the title you get your first uh, title medal one of those amazing stats 16 goals conceded in the whole thing um a goal difference of plus 69 unimaginable um, uh, goal difference no. but the season starts with a very difficult thing for Liverpool, champions of Europe, yes. you get drawn against yeah, the champions of England, Nottingham Forest. Yeah. Now, I was a, a young person there, very yeah. impressionable, yeah. younger, certainly. Yeah. I remember the two games as being absolutely fantastic games of football. They were. They were. Bob Paisley actually said that's the worst draw we could have had in the in the in, oh, in totally. the European Cup totally. competition. Because, like, you know, again, they were novices at it, but they were... They, they, you but know, they had fine players and Clough was a they, genius. They were absolutely tremendous. And I think Liverpool, before I came, had played them in the League Cup final. I remember Phil Thompson gave away an alleged penalty, which was slightly outside the box, uh, but we won't go there. Give uh, it up, Alan. Yeah, and um, <laughs> and uh, so they, so they were sort of like they had one over on Liverpool, and to draw them in that competition was oh, it was, it was the worst thing we could have done. And again, we went, we played the first leg down there, we got beat two 0 and uh, they were absolutely superb. You could name the team; they they were just unbelievable. And then coming up to Anfield, um, you know, we drew nil nil, but people like John Robertson were unbelievable. Tony Woodcock. Who My recollection is that Robertson was particularly brilliant oh, those two was, legs. Uh, you know, we talk about lucky he wasn't on your side of the pitch, eh? Well, he, I think he tried to come over but um, I, I said no don't come over here please like you know I had enough uh, problems with uh, Archie Gemmell and people like, and Martin O'Neill as well yeah would, young Martin O'Neill would, 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 would be there as well a long time since you said young Martin O'Neill well he was it? a young Martin O'Neill yeah he was days. but they were a great team well respected but the wrong team to play in the first round of the European Cup but as I say you went on to have an absolute triumph that year Liverpool in the league title race um, won it by you know very clear, eight points clear of the same Nottingham Forest yeah, we, side. We did, yeah. Won we, thirty of forty-two games. Yeah. Racked up a sixty-nine plus goal difference. Yeah. Let's talk to somebody who was a teammate of yours about that great Liverpool team. It's a delight to uh, to welcome David Johnson. Hello, David. How are you doing? Good. I'm all right. You better say hello to Alan. No, I don't. Do I have to? <laughs> you don't have to. No, it's not compulsory. <laughs> all right, Alan. You okay, mate? I'm wonderful, Dave. Thanks for uh, joining me. And Dave, be kind to me, please, will you? David, we're, we're just, I'm just saying, you know, Liverpool, it's very hard to choose from one season to a next to a next, from the mid-70s to the, to the late 80s, between the one great Liverpool team and another. But this was a particularly good team. And, and Alan Kennedy clearly um, brought it, you know, helped to make it up to another level because that 16 goals conceded and, uh, you know, 85 goals scored is an extraordinary record. Yeah, well, well, Phil Shankly set it up, didn't he? I mean, we had a, always had an attacking rifle backs like Chris Lawler and Phil Neal. Um, and Alec Lindsay 
Uh, Joey Jones was a more defensive uh, left back, so Alan fitted the bill because uh, w- when he went on a run, I don't even think Alan knew what he was doing when, <laughs> when, he, when he crossed the halfway line. That's true. That's true. Dave, Dave I mean, but but you know, coming in there, like you know. Me, me, me first game wasn't the best and um, you know I've got sad memories of it, that. Wasn't, it wasn't only the first one Al <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah but Dave the, the record was there you know, we, we you know we got knocked out of the competition. I, I think you remember the Nottingham Forest game, and uh, I think we got beaten in the League Cup as well against uh, Sheffield United. But uh, in the league, we were just incredible. And, and one of the games, early games, was against Tottenham Hotspur. I'm going to get that okay, one in. Yeah, Sorry right. about that, yeah, Danny. Yeah, but yeah. Do you remember the game against uh, Tottenham, Dave? Well, it's it's not an easy game. Yeah, because it was 7-0, wasn't it? So, yeah. <laughs> I didn't, it was, I'm right in thinking Terry McDermott scored one. Was it? I the last goal. Yeah, which from one end of the pitch to the other, about 12 Liverpool players seemed to touch the ball. Yeah. Certainly no Spurs players got anywhere near it. Yeah. Okay. There was only four, actually, Dan. It, yeah. it, it, it was a corner to, to, uh, to Tottenham. Yeah, that's how it goes uh, at Spurs, Ray, yeah. Ray Clemens <laughs> rolled out to Kenny Daglis, one touch turn to me, knocked it to me on the halfway line, one touch turned. I knocked it out to Stevie Highway. And, and on the run, he hit it, he hit it to the far post, yeah. um, first touch. And Terry McDermott had made a, a, an 85, 90-yard run from the goal line and stood next to, to, to Ray when he caught it. Yeah. And, and was on the end of it. It was, it was just an unbelievable goal. It was, uh, but you say it's an unbelievable goal, but typical of the kind of football that Liverpool were capable of playing uh, that season in that team. Well, it was just, if I remember rightly, no team had ever averaged two goals per game over, over 42 league matches. And we, that season we scored 85, so we, broke up, we, we, we proved what a great attacking side we were. But um, we only conceded 16 as well, which Incredible. is remarkable for, for defensively. Dave, it, it was spread around the midfield as well, wasn't it? Ray Kennedy came in with a few goals as well, didn't he? And, and soon Essen. No, it was just me, just me and Kenny scored the 85. Well, you got about 50, did you, David? No, I only got five. Kenny got the other 80. <laughs> but uh, it was a formidable, wasn't it, Dave? I mean, we only used 15 players that season, didn't we? Yeah, it was actually 14. I think it was 14 players. It was a 14. Uh, which, again, I mean, in, in today's... If you look at today, uh, um, if you look at the, the amount of games that we played totally in that season, not only just the league, but cup runs as well, you know, and to only use 14, 14 players, it was remarkable. Listen, David, it's lovely to hear, hear your voice. I'm sorry we got so little time with you, but thank you very much indeed for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks, David thanks, Johnson, thanks. the centre forward in that Liverpool team. And it went on, of course, the following year. Yeah. Again, 79-80. Again, knocked out of the European Cup in the first round, Alan. <sighs> uh, Dynamo, but let's be fair, a quite brilliant Dynamo Tbilisi team. Yeah, yeah. I can remember them. I remember the game in Tbilisi when I saw the highlights. Didn't show it live on television. You got passed to death. Yeah, we. Uh, I, I think one of and the... And retained the title. Yeah, but one of the reasons why um, we didn't, um, I was injured. And uh, yeah. we're won't go there uh, no. but um, no the, we went over the, the, the players went over there and they give a, a decent account of themselves and they, but it was like unbelievable and the lads will tell you what exactly happened the, you know the night before the game you know they were they had music blaring they, had, they, they were staying in a hotel over there in Tbilisi and they had to fly to Moscow to come all the way back down to Tbilisi so it was a long in trek in Georgia it's a long way yeah, yeah. a long trek but uh, we got knocked out of it by a, a very good you know Tbilisi team well, let me ask you then, we come to the end of the 70s, they retained the title in 1979-80. Uh, 
just try and put it into. I mean, we come on to even better yeah. Liverpool teams if you like, because yeah. the, the European. But how good was that Liverpool team, despite the fact going out the first round of the European Cup two years running? How good was that team? It was a it was a great team, um, and uh, and I have to say that you know if, if we have a setback, we 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 double our efforts or redouble our efforts. So. If we got knocked out of the competition, we would be totally, totally devastated, okay? And and so would the management, and they'll be questioning what they did wrong and things like that. But, you know, it, it was down to the players on the pitch. Uh, and we said, like, you know, we can't let the manager down. We can't let everybody else who works at the... Even including the tea ladies and people like us. We were all uh, like a family club. The, the good thing about... Um, the chairman John Smith, Mr. John Smith, he used to say we are all a family at that at that time at the football club, and exactly what we were. So we all hurt rather than just one or two of us, like you know. But disappointment, yes. But then you redouble your efforts, you get back in there, and you make it work. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Alan, after two seasons uh, with Liverpool, two league championships, of course, uh, would it be fair to say that the club's performances in the European Cup had not lived up to expectations? Could it be that... 80-81 was all about winning the European Cup? Yeah, uh, I mean, we hadn't lived up to expectations because another English team had taken over, Nottingham Forest. Yeah. They were terrific uh, in, in 79 and 80, and they were difficult to beat. They won the European Cup again in those years. And coming into the 80-81 season, I hadn't still established myself in the first team. Really? Although in the first year I had... Okay, I played thirty-seven, I think, league league appearances. But but the the the, the point was, you were always under pressure, and Bob was keep bringing and bringing players in, like called Avi Cohen. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, no longer with us, and unfortunately died a, a few years ago. Um, he came in. There was there was a guy lad called Colin Irwin, um, and Colin had a few uh, starts for you know for Liverpool at left back. So it was a little bit difficult to to establish myself. I got one or two injury problems. Uh, 
had a hamstring problem and and of course you know I lacked a little bit probably of experience more than anything but uh, you know coming to that 80-81 season you know I felt as though that I needed I needed to play in a couple of key games and one of those was the the League Cup final of of 1981 I should make the point that um, although Liverpool did by their own standards, struggle in the in the in the league, yeah. finished fifth. I mean, which for Liverpool was unthinkable um, in those unbelievable. days. Unbelievable. Um, they did win the League Cup, and we'll talk about the League Cup final now. But then we'll move on to the 1981 Champions League final. So in the League Cup final at Wembley, um, which ended as a one-one draw, uh, you scored a, a goal. Famously, uh, Sammy Lee was lying in front of the goalkeeper no, in an offside position. Not in front of the goalkeeper. Now, he was it, about eight yards out. Okay. He, not, and he moved his head as the ball yeah. passed over his body. <laughs> now, I, I, the, 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 this is the trickiest goal of all time because I I don't know whether it was offside under the old rules yeah. with interfering not interfering and all the rest of it and I don't know whether it would be disallowed today either um I don't know neither, but Clive Thomas was the best referee in the world at that particular time. It's certainly in Clive's mind he was, and yeah. And he said, Clive had said to everybody, I've had enough of this, I'm going to give it a go and we'll all go home nice and happy. Unfortunately, he then gave a penalty to West Ham <laughs> and Ray Stewart equalised, just yeah. in case he got it wrong. That's right, yeah. <laughs> they, 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 what happened was, it was uh, Alvin Martin won the header, Terry McDermott handled on the line, would have been sent off in today's game. Yeah. Um, didn't even get a yellow card, got a little taken off and uh, they got the penalty and Ray Stewart it scored the penalty and yeah. uh, went to the replay. But you know that that game was 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 a great game. West Ham were a fantastic team at, at that particular time and had some great great players. And we you know we struggled to break them down. It was it was it was an amazing. I mean, you say Liverpool. Uh, we we said they finished fifth in the league. Um, they finished behind Aston Villa and Ipswich yeah. um, and Arsenal and West Brom but Spurs had a brilliant team at that time as well our dealers and Hodl and all that there were an awful lot of really good teams it was a, it was a golden age that, that, that early 80s wasn't it I think it was a golden age and um, you know to win any competition you know you've got to be the best in that competition Liverpool loved playing in, in the League Cup you know it was called the Milk Cup uh, in, in, in that era mainly because we drank milk oh yeah and um, so so. but the, the point was if you're going to enter a competition we always said this you're going to have going to win it and uh, that's exactly what we we intended to do so every year we went into the competition to win it the next thing that you've achieved in your career then is that in that in that 81 season is that Liverpool make their way to the European Cup final uh, as it was then called I can I can help you with the early rounds I'll have to help myself with his first name Oluan Palasuera of yeah. Finland. Then you beat um, Aberdeen. Presumably, was that uh, Ferguson's Aberdeen? Yeah, it was. 5-0 Fer- yeah. on aggregate. Uh, on aggregate, yeah. Uh, and then you murdered CSK Sofia, 6-1 on aggregate. Right. Semi-final against Bayern Munich. What do you remember about that? Um, it was a tough game. Uh, Paul Breitner, I'm sure everybody remembers him. What a, what a player he was in any position, left back, whether it's midfield. He was a tough, uh, tough player. Uh, we, we, I think we put Sammy Lee to actually uh, try and negate him at that particular time. And uh, we, we, we drew the first leg nil-nil. Uh, and the at one, Anfield. Yeah, at Anfield. Yeah. And the thing about it was, I remember, I, I came off with it. I didn't come off, sorry, I beg your pardon. I uh, finished the game with a, a broken hand um, and went to see the doctor and he said, well, we'll go and have an x-ray. So the hand was broken. He said, it's a 10-week job. Even if you get to the final, you're not going to play. And that was it. 
Um, so I'd broken the wrist and, uh, you know, so anyway, I thought to myself, OK, I'm not going to be playing in the rest of the competition. We went back over the second leg and it was brilliant performance by Liverpool. They were patched up, but um, Dalglish got injured. Uh, a lad called Howard Gale um, came on and Howard was absolutely brilliant. Famously had a great game, didn't absolutely he? Absolutely fantastic. Ran them ragged, uh, gave us a chance to score the goal through Ray Kennedy. 1-0 up with a minute to go. They scored through Rummenigge and it's one apiece. Liverpool go through on the away on the away goals. Fantastic result. Uh, so the final um, is, is against uh, Real Madrid. Um, you obviously played. Your hand must have healed. Well, w- what happened was... Um, we had confusion before the game. We we, we arrived at the um, uh, you know at the Parc de Prince um, Paris, yeah. in Paris, and um, three hours before the game, and and Bob said, "Go and have a look at the pitch to everybody." Okay, now he did, at that stage, I'm not sure whether he knew whether to play myself. Or, or Kenny Dalglish. I was physically fit, but Dalglish wasn't. He'd been injured in the semi-final, so he hadn't really trained that much. So coming back and, and just hearing my name being called out, it says, number three, Alan Kennedy. It could have been somebody else. It could have been, you know, um, but he he had faith in me. He said, you'll be all right. So I wore a bit of a brace on, 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 on my wrist to make sure I protected it. Uh, so going out there, the pitch itself was the worst pitch you've ever seen in your life. They played rugby on it. Was it was a rugby ground, wasn't it? Rugby that was the ground. problem, yeah. There was 52,000 people there. And what I remember particularly about the early stages or the, even in the warm-ups was the fact that Real Madrid had this drum and they kept banging this drum and I felt like sticking it somewhere where the sun don't shine, mm-hmm. I have to say. But the, the point was he kept banging the drum and I kept saying, I'm going to shut that drum up, like, you know. And um, the way it worked out, you know, we, we went in half-time, nil-nil. It wasn't a good game. It was... It was poor to watch but did anybody care the most important thing about any is is the result okay whether it's a bad game good game whatever doesn't matter who scores the goal but I just felt as though I needed to do something to maybe help and thank Bob Paisley for what he had the chance to give me a chance to play on well you did do something it's fair to say after after 82 minutes as you say a very scrappy and hard fought game you did do something well yeah I I, I, I didn't know what the, the you know the report was going to say there but the unlikely man again well I'd scored in the League Cup final yeah and maybe that's why Bob gave me the chance to play in the game what do you remember about the goal the throw in was important. We we were pressing at the time. Um, there wasn't that many shots at goal. I, I I think at the time I'd actually had a couple of shots on goal, but they were what's called wayward. We'll say that word, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when Ray Kennedy picked the ball up at that particular time, uh, I was I was slightly just off the halfway line, and I thought if I go forward a little bit, then I might have a chance of creating a little bit of sp- space. Um, Dalglish was there at the time. Um, so um, Sammy Lee came across as well um, and, the, and the point was like I'm thinking if I run forward I'll create a little bit of space I don't want the ball That's the last thing I want was the ball to be somewhere near me so I, when I ran forward and Ray Kennedy threw the ball to me okay, I didn't know first of all what to do with it I'm very much an instinctive player um, and what made my mind up was the fact that the centre half came in and he made the, the lunge towards taking the ball and me at the game. If he caught me, it was a stonewall penalty. If he didn't, then 
I'm going on. And he didn't make the challenge. I brushed him aside. And then David Johnson is at the far post. And Bob Paisley always said, always have an option. And that went through my mind straight away. And I think to this day, Danny, it went through the goalkeeper's mind as well. Because the goalkeeper made that position at the near post means that I'm going to just go for it. I went for the shot, okay, it was a full-blooded left foot shot near post and for some reason the goalkeeper decided to just make that angle and go to the slightly hit He was left. afraid of you crossing it to David. Yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. yeah. He was covering his options, but he should have covered the it, near it post. It never occurred to you to cross once you saw him or it was just an instinct to shoot? It was an option um, to, 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 to see David at the far post. But in that position, you're nine yards, maybe ten yards out. You, you make that split decision, you know, and a, you go for it. You know, I, I always said to myself, if you don't shoot, you don't win the prize. My Most of my goals were outside the box. This was ten yards inside the box. And I was I was in a case, well, hang on a minute, what do you do next? And and, and again, making that split-second decision, that time, that, that thing... If the goalkeeper stayed there, he would have saved it, and and, and I would have got a rollicking from David Johnson. Alan, and and first of all, I must make a point here. There's the Liverpool team and the substitute. Sixteen um, British players in the squad that wins the Euro- and Alan, you've won the European Cup. It was just amazing, and I mean this in in a in a nice possible way. After the ball hit the back of the net. We all celebrated. We all went out. We all had a few beers after the game. They didn't mind that. We won the European Cup. It was the main one. They won it in 77, 78. Forrester won in 79, 80. We continued that trend. English football, British football was fantastic in those days. So to win it in 80, 81 was just wonderful. And I, you know, obviously scored that winning goal. It didn't mean anything to me, I swear honestly, until... I get back into England. I see all the fans, you know, saluting you and saying, what a great time, what a great goal and all that. And then it sinks in. And then for me, I go a little bit loopy. I went on the pop. I had a little bit of, uh, you know, thought to myself, I'm going to enjoy myself here now. For a month, I went on the pop and had a good time, few pints, whatever, out, out with the cup every night, whatever, like, you know. Brilliant. And having a great, great time. Liverpool didn't like that. They told me off and said, do not you know, bring the name of Liverpool Football Club with yourself. You've scored a goal, forget about it. And that was it. And I was told politely by Ronnie Moran, and if you know Ronnie Moran, you'll never know he, he is polite. He tells me, stop doing that and get on with playing football. That's your bread and butter, get on with it. In the following years, there is unbelievable... Um domination of the English domestic game for Liverpool. They won the title in 1981-82 and the League Cup against Tottenham Hotspur after Spurs had led for 76 minutes of the game. Um, the 1983, they won the League Cup uh, against Manchester United and also won the league title again. Um, and we're leading up to winning, getting back the European Cup in 1984. The question I want to ask you, Alan, before we go into details of these games and these triumphs is how did the Liverpool management and Liverpool players... Um, Remotivate themselves year after year after year to keep on utterly dominating the game because we've seen in modern times, even with clubs who have infinite money to buy all the players yeah. in, the, in the world, it's not easy 
no one retains the league title very rarely these days. But Liverpool went through a, set, a spell. Let's say the let's say the first half of the eighties, yeah. where they anybody who won anything else in Europe or yes. in England was lucky to win it. Yeah, well, um, Aston Villa won the European Cup in in eighty two, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know. The, there were, we talked about the sides before, Danny, didn't we? About the Ipswich Towns and the Aston Villas and and and, mm-hmm. and various other clubs as well. They were really, really good teams, and they were really you could name the team. I could name half the teams that, that I played against. Mm-hmm. I think their motivation was to beat Liverpool. I, mem- I remember Brian Clough, the you know the great manager, say, saying about Liverpool, "How? What's the secret?" Well, the secret went on way be way before I came to the club. It started probably in Bill Shankly's era and Bob Paisley carried it on. Um, that's all you do, you carry things on. Joe Fagan was record is, is just unbelievable in, in terms of winning trophies. We needed to win a trophy every year. We needed that. It was a boost to us. Um, it was self-motivation more than anything. You motivated yourself on a match day, okay? We may have messed around in, in the week and, well, you know, but come on a match day, you know, crossing that white line, you are representing, A, the people out there, the football club as well, and, of course, like, winning was everything. We had, a, you know, a chairman who actually said that. You know, you have to win every game that's the motivation you've got and for two and a half years you know from 78 to nearly 81 we never lost a game at at Anfield and then we got beat by of all teams Sunderland you know they beat us 1-0 and we were devastated and then we went another two years or two and a half years before we got beat in another game that was the motivation was to if you've if you've failed then you have to redouble your efforts talk to me about bob paisley because it's easy to de- to describe and to discuss what brian clough did a genius manager yeah, at that yeah. time because it was out in public he did it in the open he told you what he was going to do and he yeah, did it yeah. um other great managers we we know we've had the opportunity because of the media but I always think that Paisley's achievements are there on paper, but he, he, there wasn't films made about Liverpool no. club from the inside. He didn't court the press. He was certainly never on television except he put a gun to his yeah, head. Yeah. How did Bob Paisley do it? What kind of manager and man was he? he? Bob wasn't a good communicator with people. He didn't want... He wanted his players to do the talking. So he picked the team, consequently, to go out there and do the job. Um, and if they did the job, they were fine. Bob, you know, had his little tweaks with, you know, with, 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 with players and he had his little spats with them. But he didn't particularly like it. Um, and the motivation came, again, I was saying, and talking about Graham Souness, you talk about you know the great players, the Alan Hansons. It comes from within, and it's putting that team together. You know when Liverpool um, you know, dominated in the mid-70s? You mm-hmm. know, they, they changed the team around. They had Keegan up there. They had Toshak up there. They had Tommy Smith, Ian Callaghan. And now they all changed it around about 77, 78. Who do they buy? They buy the best players. They identify the Dalgleishes, the Soonesses, uh, called myself, Alan Hansen mm-hmm. as well. They buy those type of players to suit the system. Um, we were always 4-4-2 four, four, at the time. Dalgleish might have dropped off a little bit deep and players a 4-5-1, but like we always attacked teams. The most important thing was to attack and make sure you score the goals and make sure you know you, you defend as well. It becomes self-motivation. That's what it was all about. You know, we on a Friday morning, we used to have a five-a-side, notorious five-a-side on a, on a Friday morning. It used to be the English 
versus the Scottish. And I'll tell you something now, many a time there's been sendings off, okay, and there's been elbows, there's been whatever. We were so motivated about beating the, the Scottish being the English, okay, the Scottish beating the, you know, beating the English. Mm-hmm. But the point was, on a Saturday afternoon, three o'clock come we were all together and we played a game that people say was some of the best football they they'd ever seen how do we put it together we're not really quite sure but one thing about is we all played for each other and we had the crowd behind us we had the cop behind us we had the the anfield road end we had the you know the kemlin road they are all behind us at that time among the many things that the records that club set you won the league cup four years running yeah, we we love the competition. And this is in the days when people play. You know, the league cup was a big thing to win, and people played their strongest yep. team in every round. Every round, we see every game w- w- was a cup final for us, if you know what I mean. Because the pressure was under. You've won the last game, so you've got to win this game. Because people expect you to win the game, but when you're out there, it's sometimes a little bit you're difficult. Of course, the Tottenham's of the world and the Aston Villas and the Ipswich Towns and and to a certain extent the Manchester Uniteds, they were all decent, decent, good teams, good individual players, but put them all together. Bob Paisley had the knack of putting the right team together at the right time and he wasn't afraid to change it because after the 81 European Cup final, he went, he, he, he had an agent team he decided, well, I don't think Ray Kennedy is quite what we what we need. We've got Ronnie Whelan coming in. I don't think um, you know Phil Thompson is going to last too long, and we'll get Mark Lawrenson in there. Bruce Grobelar came in for Ray Clemens. Right, yeah. So everybody was, you know, thinking, oh my goodness, changing the whole team around. Steve Nichol, what about poor Steve Nichol? He waited four to five years to get established in the team, and he couldn't get in because Phil Neal and myself were keeping him out. So they played him in, mid- in that midfield just to just to make sure that he gets a run out every so often you know and, and up front the young lad Ian Rush Ian Rush came in the team Dave Johnson goes out the team uh, and so it was a revolution again but the, he did it so so well Bob Paisley I'll ask you a daft question now how, how great a player was Ian Rush well, without without doubt the, the, the you know the best centre forward but you know it starts uh, our defending started from the front he was such a good player at closing the full backs down or closing the centre backs down he made intelligent runs you know I remember when he first came on in the League Cup uh, final replay against West Ham United you know and uh, he was just terrific in what he did uh, he was quick he, you know he didn't start off to be fair to his you know um credit he, he didn't start off too well but he learned the ropes and he, he wasn't quite sure whether he's going to be good enough but then all of a sudden you get a couple of goals and that just breeds confidence and he and you know the rest is history on people like that and I felt sorry for other players like Michael Robinson like David Hodgson who came to the club Paul Walsh to a certain extent because we always had Dalgleish and we always had Rush as our you know as our two yeah, well, obviously, a pair of, of players that any club um, would be bewilderingly delighted uh, to have in their ranks. We'll we'll talk about the the, the eighty four European Cup in the next section, which is, gives me another chance to just um, go back to those four League Cup triumphs again. Um, we won't see its like again in a hurry, I don't think. And um, which is your favourite? You scored in '83 against Manchester United. That was that 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 was a great one. Um, the you know the. The, the the thing about was winning the game um, and you know Manchester United scored a, a lovely goal through Norman Whiteside uh, after about 15 minutes and uh, <laughs> Alan Hansen was looking at me and looking at me and saying where were you 
I wasn't covering him, which I should have been doing. I was somewhere on the on the wing, <laughs> like going back to my youth. Yeah, like, good for you. Yeah, I was on the wing somewhere, and uh, he's blaming me. Yeah, Hanson do some work, yeah. Yeah, let him do some work. And then, um, you know, we, we were plugging away, we're plugging away. And I remember this, uh, after about 60-odd minutes of the game, I got the ball uh, from, I think it was um, Suness at the time, gave me the ball, and I had a shot, and it just went over the top, of of of, um, of the goalkeeper, sorry, over the top of the the crossbar. Yeah. And I thought to myself, uh, okay, I'm just getting my sights in here. I'm just getting my sights in. And um, you know, consequently, when again Sammy Lee then soon as released me, Steve Koppel had actually let me go, and he says he's not going to do the same again. But you know, I let fly from. 25 year, yards and, and, and Gary Bailey Gary I spoke to him last year and he says I was a little bit unsighted I says you never saw it did you uh, yeah, yeah. he says well I got a I got a hand to it but I couldn't keep it out because it came off the surface so quick that he only got one hand to it and the ball hit the back of the net and that was the equaliser uh, sorry from the unlikely scorer who seems yeah. to score in every big final yeah. um, and uh, Ronnie Whelan went on an extra time to get the, the victory for Liverpool he was passing the ball to me Ronnie there I swear if you, if you look back at the actual action I've made the run forward and I've played the 1-2 the ball comes back to him and then he obviously curls it beyond Gary Bailey and you know we, we all said did you mean that and he says of course I did yeah we're coming now to, I think, a game that gentlemen and ladies of a certain age uh, regard with absolute awe, perhaps not the sports of Manchester United or Everton, but certainly um, Liverpool, another, it was one of the classic um, European Cup finals of the old school, the Rome Stadium in Roma uh, against the, the local team um, in 84. Uh, first of all, can you remember much about the run? I'll, I'll name the teams to help you out here. Odensa, Atletico Bilbao, um, sorry, Athletic Bilbao, of course. Benfica, Dynamo, Bucharest. What do you remember about the run to the final, Alan? Well, um, very, um, very hard, weren't they? You know, certainly Benfica, but we we, we ran out comfortable winners. But uh, you know, going over to Bilbao, they, they they had the butcher, the butcher of Bilbao. Goicochea. Goicochea, that's the one, and uh, he. Um, he was, uh, but he met his match in Graham Sooners. I have to say, um, it was a tense affair. Um, and going over there, um, if I remember rightly, the the, the first game at, at Anfield uh, was a close affair. Um, and One nil to the yeah. But but going over there was really really difficult, and they expected to win the game and overturn that one nil lead that Liverpool had, but. I had other ideas, and so did Ian Rush. And uh, I think it was I crossed the ball for Ian Rush to uh, to, to to score the goal. But I beg uh, your pardon. Yes, it was nil nil at Anfield, and you and that's right. You scored yeah. an amazing away goal there. You also, I mean, the, the other the other result that's catching my eye when I look down the page here is that in the quarter final, um, after a narrow victory at Anfield, you you won four one in Lisbon against Benfica. That was incredible, and the manager. Was Sven Joran Erik- right? Eriksson? Uh, yeah, and uh, he had well, his, his way of doing things. Um, we went over there, and and again, we we, we adopted a policy of not, not to concede early, and and you know we we put them under pressure. Rushy was unbelievable. Craig Johnson played in the game. Dalglish more of a withdrawn role rather than like being as a forward, and um, consequently, you know, we 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 took them apart. And uh, I, but I, what I remember about Danny is the stadium. The stadium was massive. I've never seen so many people. Stadium light. Yeah. 
yes. Yeah. Beautiful thing, isn't it? it was, there must have been 120,000 people in the stadium. They thought this was it. This is their moment of... Uh, but the, the bigger the occasion, the more Liverpool respond to it. And that's exactly what we did. We closed it out. We closed it down. We scored the goals. And, and we, we decided, like, OK, if we're going to get two or three, we might as well get four. And that's exactly what we did. Which takes us to the final in Rome. Um, it's happened. It's happened again since, but it's a, uh, it, it's a terrible disadvantage, I think. Um, you know, you're playing uh, Roma. Yeah. were playing in their home stadium. Absolutely. I mean, we got out there, and we we, we first of all we, we didn't realise. But do you remember the the other teams uh, that were involved in semi-finals? Because it was Dundee United who is who that did, right? And and what happened was uh, they they had won two nil at home, but lost three nil away and Roma get there, it's on their home ground. They've got 90,000 people in the stadium. We Another ha- wonderful stadium. Of oh, course. it was, yeah. yeah, but very open at the time. Yeah. Very, it's, got little, it's got a roof now, hasn't it? Yeah, but, yeah. it has got yeah. a roof, uh, but very open at the time. And behind the bottom goal, uh, we, we, we were like 10,000, maybe 15,000 at the most, Liverpool fans. And I remember them all being down there, and we, we all went down and we said, hi, how are you doing? Is everything okay? And we had a little word. And we, 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 were, we were quietly confident of giving it a good display. That was the thing about it. Now, Joe Fagan, who'd taken over from Bob, the, from Bob was like the manager. And, and I remember... Before he named the team, which was a good team, good strong team, and a, a good bench as well, um, and and we felt as though like we're ready for them, we're ready for them. So as we're standing to go out uh, on uh, on the stadium, onto the pitch, um, we started to sing the Chris Rea song. I don't know what it is, but I love it. And it was Bruce Grobbler and and, and David Hodgson and, and one or two others who decided. You know, particularly Craig Johnson said we'll, we'll sing it and we sang that as we were walking down the tunnel okay with Roma alongside us and they're looking at us going you cheeky so and so's what do you mean you're singing you're going out under our pitch in front of our fans and all that but it was our way of saying hey we're ready for you can you actually believe it's your own life no no I, I, I never um that was in the past. Um, it's something that happened many, many years ago, and some people will um, probably never see it. Um, I talk about it uh, in when I go to the sportsmen's dinners and sure. and talk about that great moment and um, re- recall it as I'm doing now. Um, it didn't matter to me who scored goals. It didn't matter who, but we all did it together. We were all in it together. That was the key to... Liverpool's success at that particular time. We didn't um, look at individuals. Dalglish was probably the best player that a lot of players have played with. You know, um, um, you know, we all made up a team that um, that that contributed to winning that European Cup in '84. Do you have any recollection? Because I'm always fascinated by the psychology of this thing, where you, you're standing with your teammates. The Italian player does what he does. Yeah. Then you've got to walk the whole half the length of a football pitch. Yeah. It's a fully. It's got to be a twenty-second walk, hasn't it? Yeah. It can was, you recall uh, what goes through your mind or what you were yeah. going through your mind that day? I, I can recall first of all uh, why why Joe Fagan ever picked me to take um, a penalty. I don't think he believed it was going to go to penalties. Um, but again, you've got to look at every situation. Um, and Steve Nicol had missed, and they'd missed through a couple of their top, top penalty takers. So the final penalty, 
was there and, and walking up. And to be fair, we only see it later on TV, but Bruce Grobbler was brilliant. The carry on with his what legs did, and all that, did. yeah. And he put some of the you know the, the two players Conte, off. Conte Graziani. And he and but we didn't really notice that. And you're quite right. And when I was walking up there, you know, and with the ball underneath my arm and and thinking, I don't want to be here. I honestly, my legs were like jelly. That it it made me feel as though physically I wanted to be sick. I just didn't want to be there. If I if I miss this penalty, and there was a good chance, a fifty fifty chance, I was going to miss it. Um, what am I going to do? How am I going to hold my head up high and say I'm sorry to people? There's like twenty thousand Liverpool fans, you know. There's millions watching at home, and 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 I just didn't want to be there. And and putting the ball on the spot is like never easy because like you know um, as I put the ball down, it thinking which side is it going to go? Now be confident, be confident. Come on, come on, concentrate on the and I said to myself you know the bottom right hand corner and it went in the top left hand corner <laughs> it wasn't a miss hit though you just it wasn't you, a something miss instinctively, instinctively came into your kicking of the football I opened my bo- the shape of my body up I side footed the ball more or less the goalkeeper went that way he would have he would have saved it quite comfortably but you know it's just that final final second I would never ever take a, another penalty after that and, and I don't even know why Joe had so much faith in me to take the penalties. Maybe it was because of the 81 European Cup final and felt as though I'd scored, you know, a couple of You've goals. kind of well. been down this road before he might have thought something like that. Yeah. Trust the man. Trust the man. And having trust in players like, you know, um, I'll, I'll always say about my my performances, in, in, in I always give 110% in, in any games. But that was... That was the hardest moment. That was the moment that I thought to myself, I've achieved something. I've done something. It was the greatest moment for me because when I ball hit the back of the net, I did not expect it to hit the back of the net. And I didn't know in my own mind how to celebrate. And I've celebrated in the most mm. oh, the most uh, uncommon way you've ever thought. Normally it might be a, a shake of the hands or a, you know, a, a huddle or something like that. But like, I did a little bit of a, a stutter and a jump and I thought how that's ridiculous why have you done something like that <laughs> but I didn't know how to celebrate that winning goal and um, you know the my, my teammates were looking at me going I can't believe you've done that I can't believe you scored the goal but never mind anyway we've won it we've won it absolutely and you've won it of course in the home ground of your opponents how 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 was that? How did the Italian fans take the victory? They didn't take to it very well. They, they, they really. I remember looking at the fans, and there wasn't that many after we received the, you know, the European Cup. There wasn't that many of their fans left in the in the stadium. They were all outside waiting for the Liverpool fans to come out, and uh, they such, were. Such, such very, was the state of football in Europe in those that days. That was the state of football at that particular time, and they weren't very happy. Of course, they weren't. But we had a great night. I promise you, we had a great night. We all got together, and we invite a few of the fans to come along and join us who've, who've been on the road and they've seen it, done it, and uh, got the T-shirt as well. So it was a really, really good night, and uh, you know, hopefully. But it, again, I keep saying this: it doesn't matter who scores the goal. It's about the winning side of it. In many ways, sadly for you, you were also an unused substitute at Heysel. 
Yeah, that was that was was so sad. Um, so many people died, and um, I, I was actually right next to it that that it happened. And the Juventus fans were you were you, in, were you on the bench or you I, the, I, I was eighteenth man, which yeah. means uh, I was still in my let's say suit. Yes, I didn't have to get changed. I, I was injured uh, in the in the earlier games, and uh, Jim Beglin had come into the team, and. Uh, um, you know, but um, you were in proximity of where all the, all, yes, the, all the thing happened. Yeah, the, the the changing rooms were just near where the wall collapsed, and um, you know we we knew things were going on. We, we didn't, we weren't happy. Obviously, you know everybody was saying at Liverpool Football Club, including Peter Robinson and the chairman, it should not be played in a stadium that was totally inadequate. But um, we had to play it, um, and then there was a delay, and uh, and and obviously. You know, the way it was portrayed was really sad, and, and I will always remember being being a frightened person um, for my safety, because anything could have happened. I, I walked outside, and and people were looking at me as you know, and and saying he's English, you know, do something. Um, and I wanted to make sure that the wives, the girlfriends were okay, so the lads would actually say to me, go and see how they're doing, and I went outside and made sure they were fine, they were okay at that particular time. I remember going up the steps and, and, and climbing up to see them, and I, I really got frightened. It was, um, they, were, they, they were looking at you as though they were going to kill you, and, and, and I did feel as though I needed to get back down into safety of, of the uh, dressing rooms, and uh, I said to the lads, listen, you know, it's too dangerous to go up, and so well, this game should not be played. People are dying outside. I saw them being carried out, and, uh, you know, they, so they had a police um, charge with the, with, with the horses. Um, Phil Neal had to go out and talk to, the, to calm everything down, and, you know, why would they want to play it? But, you know, the authorities said, we've got to play it. Disappointing. And, of course, you know, they they got themselves a penalty, which we think wasn't a penalty if we look back on video evidence. But uh, it was a case of Liverpool were never going to win anything on that day. Um, a few months later, you left uh, uh, and you went to, to Sunderland. But that actually takes you off on a remarkable journey because you're not one of these people who decided, oh, I'll, I'll yeah. play for Liverpool, then I'll just um, stop playing. You went on to play, and I, I want to get all these clubs in because they won't forgive me if I no, didn't. No, please don't, um, please. And you, went, you played for Sunderland. Yeah. Then you went to Belgium, Denmark, Sweden. You'd have to tell me what clubs you were with there. Yeah. And Hartlepool yeah. and Wigan yeah. and Wrexham. Have I got them all? Yeah. 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 Um, and you played until you were into your 40s. Yeah, I played Why, Alan? I, I loved I loved football. I didn't want anything else. I couldn't do anything else. Um, I'd, I'd taken a couple of um, um, qualifications, you know, badges to do uh, my further coaching. Um, but it wasn't... I, I just wanted to play. Uh, that was that was the thing about Sounds me. Sounds right to me. I've got to be yeah. honest. <laughs> I just wanted to play football. Um, and I, I just wanted to sort of like not prove to people that, that I'm still good enough to play at a certain level but I just wanted to play I love non-league football I loved them I had loads of you know I played for Morecambe you know which was a lovely lovely place to play and uh, uh, you know I played at um, a place called Radcliffe Borough um, I pl uh, you know I played um, at a place called Netherfield I know you're looking at me and going I've never heard of these places but they well do, I'm ashamed to say it actually they do exist they do exist Barrow Barrow of Football Club up, furnace, there, yeah. up there um, and of course uh, a team down here well in, in the smoke called Enfield yeah and I was there as well so 
I did enjoy, you know. Um, what can I play? Well, hang on, what about Belgium, Denmark, and Sweden? Can you remember yeah. the names of those teams? Bear Scott. You played for Bear Scott, did you? Yeah, Husqvarna. Okay. What was the other place? I was... Sweden. Oh, that's Sweden. That's, that's Husqvarna, that's, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Denmark. Um, it was a club called 1903, which no longer exists. Right. Uh, after I bankrupted them. <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, I went there on the basis that um, I would be playing um, in a more um, refined role, which was like um, uh, playing alongside midfield players, um, which I didn't uh, particularly enjoy. Um, and uh, but the, the thing I, I loved, I loved, I loved playing. And you know what? I remember this. I remember getting a phone call from Martin O'Neill, and you're going to see it. Who was he managing then? He was managing a team called Grantham, and Grantham in the East Midlands, yeah, in the East Midlands there. And uh, he asked me to come down, and I played for Martin. He says, "I'm ever so thankful that you're coming down." He gave me thirty quid, and he gave me said, "That's for your petrol coming down." The petrol was sixty quid. I says, <laughs> "Now I didn't argue with him because oh. Martin was a smashing and is a smashing yes. guy." So I said, "Yeah, I'll play for you. I'll play for you." And um, he said, "I want you to encourage to." Um, this young lad, and um, it was um, a young player called Gary Crosby, and you might know why why Gary get, get, but Gary was a player who played yeah. for Grantham, and I and I and I played just behind him, gave him the ball every time, and he was he was about a bit like John Robertson. Well, I was playing Forrester, of course. That's right, exactly like of Robertson, course, yeah. you're right. Yeah, and uh, so absolutely great, and I, but I, I loved every minute of playing the football, and you, you mentioned. In, in, in the start of the programme about um, the Liverpool veterans and the yes. Liverpool, we, we don't like to call them veterans no, uh, but, the but what are we called now? Ex-players ex, okay. ex, ex-players okay. it's ex-players um, and we had a trip out to um, uh, to um, uh, South Africa uh, in November of last year and it, to be fair it was absolutely fantastic and you're playing with great players the Fowlers of the world the McManamans the Patrick Burgers and Vladimir Smeets of the world and of course Brucey turns up as well Bruce Grobelar <laughs> It was a wonderful. I loved. I, lo- I love my football. I still play football on a on a regular basis, and uh, uh, until I stop playing, then I'll always enjoy it. Which takes us right round to to the modern day. At the start of the program, goodness, is already two hours ago now. We mentioned um, what looks like a revival of Liverpool Football Club. I mean, they're within a couple of points yeah. of winning the title last year. I think they um, should have done it, Danny. I really do. I think they should have done it. Um, the, when you're in that position, um, you know, you've got to try and kick on and do it, you know, and, and, and win it. But to take Liverpool to that level was, was just... I, I, I didn't think I would see it, to be fair. I didn't think it would... I was co- that was going to be my next question. Did you think you were going to go... Alan, let's hope it's 30 years' time. To your grave, would I ever see Liverpool get back into that position again? I would love... Our, it's one... It's a dream isn't it you know we, we all dream of being the top and 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 you've got to keep up like this all the time when Liverpool were top 30 odd years ago you know it seemed and, and all the teams all the other teams must have been thinking what you know how do they do it Why, what's the secret like you know but at the moment there's about three or four four or five teams who are capable of winning the Premier League you know it's not all about money it's all about the style of play and all about and Liverpool's style of play has been so refreshing it's been so good that we've all admired it and thanks to Brendan Rodgers the way he's created players who might look a little bit um, you know mediocre that they're looking like world beaters and that's exactly what he's done now he's got to take them on to the next level the next level is to win the league whether they can do it 
I'm not sure. I'd like to think so. Alan, um, you're a very fit-looking man for 60 years of age, still a young man, still playing football. Not quite 60 yet. Not quite, sorry. Sometime this year. What do you do with yourself these days? How do you keep yourself busy? And uh, what are your hopes for the future? I keep fit. I take every offer of any job that comes along. Um, Indirectly, uh, out of the last 20 years, uh, I've played a lot of football, um, non-league um, and of course with the Liverpool veterans or the Liverpool uh, ex-players ex-players as <laughs> yeah. we say um, I also did a radio show in the northwest of England for seven years uh, up there with, with a couple of other uh, colleagues of mine um, from other Northwest clubs, which uh, remain nameless, which was great. It was really good. We enjoyed ourselves tremendously. Uh, I did a coaching school for about uh, eight or nine years, um, and I enjoyed that as well, giving something back to the to the community and co- hopefully finding you know the right quality to come through for for various football clubs as well. Um, sport, dinners talk about um, my sporting life uh, over the last uh, twenty years, uh, and um, give the people a chance to uh, ask some questions about about you know about the past well I think there's an I mean, it's not just football in general but there is a huge fascination with that Liverpool era of domination because we won't see it's like again because the way the money rotates through the game yeah. no team will ever dominate the game the way Manchester United did 10 yeah. years ago and Liverpool did 20 years ago yeah. and 25 years ago mm-hmm. and what about on a personal level Alan what are your hopes for the future still uh, hopefully a long long walk to a, to a distant horizon for you I love doing what I'm doing I, yeah. I work for the football club uh, Liverpool Football club on a match day basis. It's great. They treat us right. The ex players, it, it, they're, they're wonderful, which is nice. They have tours, they have other things, uh, and field experiences as well. Great to get on them. Um, and and of course, you know, you have to make a living out of out, out, out of this. And, um, you know, although my my Obviously, great times were with Liverpool Football Club, and 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 I'm ver- very much grateful. I also work for Wembley on on a match day basis as well, with Club Wembley, and uh, that's a wonderful, you know, they they really do a, a great job there. And I hope those people who do come along enjoy themselves, and they talk about their team as well. They talk about my team. They talk about other teams as well, which is which is so good. So it's been my life, and, and I've loved every minute of it. You've been listening to an archive edition of Talk Sports My Sporting Life with Danny Kelly. Thanks for listening, and make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Acast, and Spotify for more top Talk Sport content. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Market.